and welcome to another episode of Lily High on Life and today our special guest is Carol Tenenbaum Bach. Carol, welcome to Lily High on Life. Thank you Lily, I am so delighted and excited to be here. Well I've known you for absolutely forever since I was in my teens and we won't go into how long ago that was but yeah, um, it was just yesterday wasn't it? <laughs> Thank you <laughs> and um, and I knew your sister Barbara so I'd heard about Carol and and then got to meet you and befriend you myself so Carol yes. you are the most effervescent positive wonderful person and you are into so many different things and have been in your life so why don't we start with what you're doing right now because that's pretty exciting oh Lily it's very exciting I don't know where to begin I'm finishing off my 40th book my publisher keeps ringing me and saying when when and I said oh maybe another two months and <laughs> when said, you say your 40th book, <coughs> tell me about those. Well, I just got to finish this story. It's so funny. My publisher rings me from America and says, uh, I said, just a couple more months. And he says, uh, oh, you know, we've been chasing you for 12 years. <laughs> anyway, the books are a variety of titles. Um, one is called The Oldest Person on the Planet and Still Laughing. Um, another one is, um, well, um, the one that's going to be published first, I think, it was going to be Manifesting Molecules and Miracles, but seeing I'm doing a movie about that, I'm not sure. Um, so basically, it could be Let Go, Let God, and somebody said that is already a title, so it will be Oh My God and More Miracles, which is so beautiful it's, of course I, I notice the miracles day after day it's just magic to be alive and to be doing the work for Hashem for God in God's service I love that and that positivity how do you keep it up all the time <laughs> oh, I come from June Wisnia June Tenenbaum who uh, experienced Auschwitz and Began Belsen and all those other fun camps and she just taught me, and she was a widow at 39. My father died when I was 15, and my baby sister was 10 or 11. And she just stood there and went on and just made the most. She went to the theater and the symphony concerts and the opera, and she just looked for everything that was beautiful in life. Now, it's important to say also, and we don't have to delve deep into it, yeah. that you do have times yeah. where you do go under and you don't see people when you're not feeling the best. Absolutely. So what, what is it that, that, do you know what dives you into those times and what brings you out? Well, at first it was too high expectations and very, being the daughter of um, a slave, you know, I was very harsh on myself I was nutsy like harsh like you don't do you know I, I got high distinctions at university and like if I ever like made a mistake I would I would not uh, I, I would kind of not accept it I was very cross with myself mm -hmm. so I'd sort of tuck myself away and and, and hide from myself and the world so that so it was started when you were young yeah yes yes and then what do you do to get yourself out of that because everybody gets into those yes well I guess music 
um, when I'd cut off from everything it's music or anything with a higher vibration sort of like looking at books with beautiful pictures or flowers music is like my oxygen to me and of course friends when I'd let them in I, often I would as soon as I'd go down I wouldn't want to share that ugly sad disgusting part that was so self-derogatory and so I just you know but when I'd let my friends in it was like so nurturing. Back to the bar, back to the carol that everybody knows yeah, and loves. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. always positive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And as you get older, because I won't say how old we are, mm-hmm. but sixteen. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I, I feel sixteen often. <laughs> I know you do too. But we're well, past fifty. Let's say that. Well, I. It's interesting because spiritually, I am sixteen. My physicist friends say you should be dead because I've been morbidly obese for a long, long time. My highest score that was recorded was 166 kilograms. Wow. And um, interesting enough, like, my chronological age is 71. And the thing is, I don't know if you've heard or seen Dr. Oz when he does the biofeedback on people, and you check the biological age. Well, basically, my naturopath did that on me. It's like a... You just put electrodes on you and you check the age of your organs. And, and the first time she nearly collapsed and she sort of said, only very sick parents. She was scared to tell me I was 166 years old. Wow. Hence the book. <laughs> oldest person on the planet and still laughing. Yes. <laughs> so, but luckily I've been doing all the things that my great, wonderful teachers have taught me as I've healed. I now consider myself healed. Um, I've had top specialists, um, professors. I've I've had Chinese masters. I've had kinesiologists. I've had what some of my professional friends called woo-woo people like (laughs) kinesiologists and faith healers and the whole gamut. That's why when I I do a TV series and we're going to do perhaps something like um, I'm working with Steven Spielberg and Tom Hanks doing movies very well known dames <laughs> beautiful you can tell us about those later because that's certainly <laughs> exciting and and, um, and an important part of your life well, we might even we might even use like on my healing this manifesting um, molecules and miracles we may do a movie but we may also with Oprah do a TV series like a like a Netflix sort of thing and have mm-hmm. all these incredible experts to help we want to help I want to help heal millions yes, of people. Yes, because what, uh, what I was getting into, what I was going to ask you next in terms of how you get yourself out of these um, these moods or these periods of time yeah. where you don't see anybody, yeah. um, I wanted to ask, do they get shorter and shorter as you get older or is it easier to, to get out of it or not really? Well, as I've healed, until I had healed, uh, you know, I was still bashing myself up. And um, and then I wasn't recognising I had, um, I have a beautiful husband. However, we've grown quite apart. We have lots of different interests. And the marriage wasn't working for a long time and I have a difficulty accepting that. So I realized that the last depressions were about that, not accepting that, I mean, we're great friends uh, and I think we'll probably still stay married and we'll probably still go out. 
but we have such different spheres. He loves going skiing. I love going to the opera. You know, right. so it's um, he's a beautiful soul, and we've made two magnificent children. Oh, it makes me want to cry when I think about and them. And they are magnificent children. Oh, they've such, got such beautiful They're values. They're in their 20s now. No. Joshua's going to be 33 this year Gosh. in December, and my little baby, Romy, is already 30. Wow. How long have you been married? 36 years. Wow. And a few weeks. So I always joke to everyone, I said, we've never had an argument. That was because we never talked. <laughs> <laughs> and then Romy left last year on the 21st of um, uh, June. And then all of a sudden I thought, oh my gosh, we've got nothing to talk about. And then we started arguing, really heavy duty arguing. Oh gosh. We caught up with all the arguments that we hadn't had and it was quite fun. <laughs> However, I, I, I called a truce. I said, no more war. There's enough war going outside. We'll just be nice to each other and we'll uh, work out what we have to work out. So it was during, so you started going back into yourself when you um after that happened as well and what brought you out what was it that um just one of your sessions where you weren't seeing anyone oh well each session was different first of all my beautiful girlfriend tamar she said something and that brought me out and then my beautiful girlfriend mandy said something else like uh what uh, said something else it was profound that brought me out and then my girlfriend, beautiful Sharon, she's a, a child shrink. I actually introduced her to her beautiful husband. And um, uh, she said something. So it, is, so it does help when you talk to people. Yeah, oh, absolutely. People you love and who love you. Um, like my girlfriend Mandy, she said, I'm not giving up on you. I said, look, I just want to die. And she said, no, I, I, I'm not giving up on you. And Sharon the same. She would have a see her patients all day from nine o'clock till six or seven, then come straight to me from her and before having dinner or anything. God bless. Uh, yeah, she would bring me something from home, like a little soap or a little perfume that she'd wrap up, or from her medical clinic, she'd bring some chocolates or something. And she would come and she would sit with me, and she wouldn't get home sometimes till nine o'clock. This is after a busy day counselling patients. Right. How's that and for a friend? how interesting is it that somebody that doesn't know you that well, somebody that meets you and you meet lots of people every day in the yeah. street, yeah. would think you were the most positive person and most bubbly and social person yeah. that they'd ever met. Yeah. And so it's important and thank you for, for discussing the other side because that's reality. That's reality. That's reality. In the demons, the, the sort of self-hate and the and the sense of hopelessness and emptiness there was there at times. <coughs> I um I lost ten stone, one hundred and forty pounds one time, and I got in touch with such emptiness, and like I was beautiful, and people were going, "Oh, you must feel so great." I felt the worst I've ever felt in my life. I got in touch with emptiness and grief, which was Holocaust grief. A lot to do with the grief was Holocaust grief of my depressions, like coming to terms with that. If one believes in past lives, and I've met Carol Weiss, Dr. Um, Brian Weiss was a is a very famous um, psychiatrist, and when he had he regressed a patient and in, in, in hypnosis, and she started talking about 
things. She was a very simple girl and sort of things that she would have never known about in Egypt. And then a few sessions later, she talks about from the other side, her son, uh, his son, that nobody knew about. Like he nearly had a breakdown, his wife told me, because he's a kind of a very um, <laughs> a mainstream psychiatrist. Anyway, he now says that, um, that uh, there's enough evidence to show that there is no such thing as death and we reincarnate the soul. As it says in the Kabbalah, we reincarnate, we come and to, to learn our various lessons, the bravery, um, bravery, wisdom, patience. And I think that's what my beautiful junior Esther Musha, Wisnia, June Tenenbaum, I think she said to God, put me through everything, put me through as much pain as you can and I will still come out loving you and loving my children and offering the world unconditional love. Wow, that's that's a really beautiful sentiment. And to live it and then pass it on to you, as she obviously did, you and your sister actually, yeah. um, is, is truly a wonderful thing. But tell me a little more about yeah. this once you lost the weight, yeah. you found this emptiness. What do you think that's about? Did it sort of come about suddenly or did layers come off as you were losing the weight? I lost um, I lost 10 stone was easy when I made the decision it was a split second and I had a I don't know I said I think I had a one one diet I lost six stone that was under a doctor's supervision 300 calories an egg and an apple potassium and a piece of meat at night (laughs) and a cappuccino that was the first time ended up in depression uh, that was when I was at Teachers College. Uh, the second time, the massive after the ten stone, oh, I was stunning and pretty and active and danced all night and and like you know I'd stay on the dance floor for and hours. And I've seen the photos. You yeah. were absolutely stunning. Yeah, well, I was a model. I was a photographic model. Mm. I was in all the top magazines and um, I was on and I was on a product. And I was on a shelf talks, and for 10 years that campaign lasted. And then tell me about the journey back up in weight. Oh, okay. Well, when I was, when I had lost the weight, I realized I don't have a spiritual belief system. So then I started exploring, you know, born again Christian, Buddhism, everything, Judaism. Like, I thought, oh, I don't have one. And also, I knew that the grief was so profound that um, mainly to do with the Holocaust, plus my dad died young, uh, plus we were looking after my mum. Yes, my mother you were was only 15 or Correct, so. and my mother was a widow at 39. Wow. So basically, um, and as I said, little Barbie was about 11. And uh, so the emptiness and the grief. So I decided, like, you know, I was, I decided I'm going to put the weight on very quickly. I've got a reason to live. To, to, to focus on weight loss was a reason to live rather than getting into the emptiness and wanting to die. Right. So it was a conscious decision. I'm going to put on as much weight as I can, as quickly as I can. I've got a reason to live. I can focus on losing weight again. Ah, how, what an interesting and fascinating um, thing to idea to even come to before you lost all that weight though you still were had a lot of friends were very bubbly were very was very popular yeah went out a lot yeah had lots of boyfriends who wanted to marry me but you didn't want to get married you didn't you you didn't have a you were living in happiness every day correct taking care of your mother and sister yep 
but you number had, one job. Yeah, always has been. But didn't get into anything that gave your own life meaning. Well, yes, I, I, I um, I loved when I studied. I loved when I went to Israel and did Shnah Hakshirah. I loved living on a kibbutz. I loved working on a kibbutz. I loved the singing and the dancing. I loved teachers' college. I loved um, my postgraduate work is in counselling. I loved that. Were you heavier when you were when you were doing all of those things? When you were studying and in Israel and doing all those things you loved? When I was, I think already when I we had a chocolate factory, H. Tennant and Son. We made chocolates for. Tulip, we made chocolates for like McRobertsons and basically I think already by the time I was six I was chubby or fat and my mother had a um, an aunt here Dr Martha Swift she's even there's a plaque at the women's hospital she was acknowledged and she said you got to take Carol to a psychiatrist and I was six and I was sitting and in a psychiatrist's office and she was such a horrible lady she said you're such a bad girl you're giving parent your parents such difficulties oh my god that from my first psychiatric experience you have to be so lucky with psychiatrists (laughs) It's okay so, to say get therapy, but you've got oh the right gosh. therapist. Oh, well, I have seen some amazing people, and my recent experience was unbelievable. I'm, I've written a whole a movie about that for Stephen and Tom called Insane. Um, that was hysterical. I um, went into, I thought, oh, enough's enough. I'm going into Epworth Rehab to, um, you know, it's got a good gym, good pool. I'm going to get rehab. And, of course, I went in, and I was saying I'm so exhausted, my beautiful my best soulmates of, of men warren will soul brother and alan kogosovsky soul mate i think i've been with alan since time began i think he was chopin in the last lifetime and it was george sands <laughs> uh anyway and warren i speak to him six times a day and we have plans and we you know we're very very close so i was in hospital and i was saying i'm exhausted because i've been you know Warren, there was a lot of stuff going on in Warren's life, so he would say, oh, dinner, and I'd say, okay, I can get there by 12 o'clock or 2 o'clock in the morning, and so I'd bring him Chinese or... That's midday, midnight, midnight. 2 a.m. Last night it was, he said, 7, and I said, I don't think I'll get there before 1, so I drove 1, he was asleep, so I um, slept in his car, port next to his car, and Sarah's car, um, in my car for an hour, and I thought... And is that taking care of someone else again, or is that taking care of you because... The relationships nurture you. How do you look at those sort of long late hours? And well, I, I don't know. Just he, what he needs, he gets. And uh, I mean, it's just a, an honour to, just yeah, like it was for my mother, to do anything for the people I love. So it, it nourishes me while nourishing them. So you're also sort of saying that now, when you feel yourself slipping, you will go and get help. Oh, I won't so. slip anymore. The problems are over. Um, there's no need to go to get depressed no anymore. Such thing. <laughs> there's never a need, but we find it. I I don't believe I'll get depressed again. I feel I've That's come great. to a stage where I've got my spiritual belief system. I'm very connected to Hashem, the universal force of love 
and kindness and goodness. I'm on path. My vibration is high, so I'm meeting. I just a professor of um, a professor just said I've written a hundred papers on this. I want to do a book with you on the topic. I'm meeting the most amazing people. I'm, I drove down Filbert Street. I was going to pick up some Shabbat food, and there was a truck, uh, and I and I couldn't get past, and he couldn't get past, and so we kind of. I said hello, and I thought I'll. I said I'll give you my autograph because very soon I'm going to be quite famous. And I gave him my details, and he looked me up, and he rang me, and he said, "My gosh, you know, teacher, crisis counselor, film producer, um, concert impresario." Uh, You've got a lot to be proud of in your past. <laughs> Well, basically, so, and then guess what he said? He said, so I said, what about you? You're a truck driver. And he said, yes. However, I was a personal trainer. I, I'm a Reiki master. I'm a fitness this. I'm a gardener. I got this award for my biofeedback or biochemistry. And I, it goes on and on and on. And he's, he's done... Uh, like you, the thing you go to South America for, or the, uh, and like he was going to come to my place this morning, but we've rearranged it to Wednesday. Like, so I'm meeting people of the highest, highest vibration, and that's miracle. One of miracle. the big reasons yeah. that I do Lily High on Life because yeah. when you bump into somebody or look at somebody, you have no idea yeah. who they are or what they've done it's only once you really talk to them that's right and you sent me a lovely little video this morning about um, <laughs> some guy that you'd met that helped you at a petrol station yeah, yeah. well i think they're wonderful i'd encourage you to keep doing them because oh. um it really is so important for people to know that people are real people there's a lot behind what they look like, you can't just tell by the way they look or even just by saying hello. So oh, I think they're a wonderful thing. A landscape gardener with a truck and he turns out to be someone who, who does charity runs for for mental health. So Fabulous. He, created, he created it himself. Yes. And that's... 27-year-old. And they, they talk about mental health. Mental health is just realising that everything starts in the mind. That's how I healed from morbid obesity. In fact, I'm healed now. Um, as I said on Current Affair when Elise Mooney interviewed me, it's a process. Um, it's a process towards self-love. I guess with anorexics, it's about control and self-love. Um, and uh, basically, yeah, it's a process. And uh, yeah. But you know, Carol, it's... Somebody asked me, um, I was going through a, because I'm overweight myself and I've been oh, really obese. I'm, I still consider myself somewhat obese, but I, somebody was asking, why do you want to, you have to have a why you want to lose weight. Mm -hmm. And I, for me, it was when I was slimmer, mm -hmm. I could move better. Yeah. Even getting up off a chair yeah. is easier yeah. when you're not as heavy. Yeah. And yet there's nothing anybody in the world can do or say to help you lose weight until you're ready to lose weight. Absolutely, because there's an unconscious, there's a hidden agenda, which most people don't know. They're fighting against themselves because basically they, for their own security and survival, they stay fat until they have other techniques 
So it's actually, uh, Elizabeth Taylor wrote a book, Love Your Disease, It's Keeping You Alive. And I think the title was something like that. And that's true. Until someone has the skills, they're, they're using whatever habits they have to stay alive and take right. care of themselves. And it's so really... So there's a hidden agenda and people get so cross with themselves when really they're just taking care of themselves. Yeah. And uh, I, don't get cross, I don't get cross with myself as much as, gee, it would be nice to do that. But even every day, you know, I just keep saying, God bless you, Carol, because you get around, you get out, you do things for others as well as yourself. And it's very difficult for you to do that. Physically difficult. Mentally, it's a hell of a lot easier. But physically, even to get out of the car, to walk up a couple of steps. How do you reconcile those sorts of actual difficulties with the fact that you were at a place where you didn't have those restrictions on your body so you could do more? Well, first of all, I, I feel very grateful. I'm blessed wherever I am. There's someone walking by that sort of today, like, you know, somebody will help me out of the car, help get my walker out of the car, get my, you know, like I've got a stick that beautiful Sharon gave me. Um, so people help me. When I haven't got time or energy, I'll, someone will, um, this morning, a lovely girl called Fiona, I said, my feet are freezing, I can't find any socks. Are you able, if I give you $20, to go into the supermarket and get me some socks? So, you know, I have people help me all the time at IGA in South Caulfield, the beautiful Indian people, they come out and they serve and me to the car. that's a gorgeous thing to have people yeah. and to constantly find good people oh. who help you like that. Very lucky. But it's not a motivation for you to get rid of some of the weight now because you've done it before and you know how. So the, the, your physical getting around in life would mm. be easier. That doesn't come into it. Well, the thing is, I'm already slim in my mind. I'm healthy in my mind. We're just waiting for the molecules to reassemble. That may sound weird to people, but I believe that all my life. People told me I was overweight, and I said, but I look good. <laughs> I like the way that I looked. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've both been through that, um, you know, the secret and the um, vision boards, and, and your, mm -hmm. because your mind is where it starts. That's right. So on a very real basis, I absolutely get it. We must um, put in a plug for Barbara. Pellegrino for her vision. If, if people want to go to visionboards.net, you'll find um, Barbara gives a lot of free information about how to do a vision board, and you can also order her little book that you can carry around with you. You just put yeah. it's left and right brain. But people say, and my mother's a huge one for this, she says, you live in a fantasy world, you don't live in reality, you live in a fantasy world. And I say, yes, come join me. I have a lot more fun. <laughs> if you're not enjoying it, go back to where you were. But let's try it out and feel good. Oh, and you know, I love that. And uh, um, beautiful Dr. Robert Lefkowitz, outstanding yes. physician. And he was, thank God, we had him for my mum. Uh, and uh, it, mummy didn't walk and all of a sudden so I, he, I said can you take her in and see what's going on and he did and he said the physio says she'll never walk again and uh, I said no I don't think that's right I think they, ha they haven't got it right and he said well he said I've done everything in my power 
you know, to facilitate whatever, you know. And I said, okay, well, you know, I've never lived in reality. I don't intend to start now. So we'll use some hocus pocus. And we had a walk and again, we took it back to Emmy. They, the physios there said, we think that the, the carers frightened her so much about falling that that's why she, she didn't walk. And then, of course, when she started walking again, they sent me videos. How fabulous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the truth is that you're doing so much with your life yeah. at the moment. Go back and tell us the story of how you met Stephen, uh, Stephen and Tom. And Tom. Well, Stephen. I haven't met them yet, but basically I, I was always wrote about my mother. The two stories that um, uh, Stephen and, and Tom and I have a mutual friend. Kaz, K-A-Z, she's beautiful. And like, just as a miracle would happen, I was always writing, I always knew that Stephen was gonna put the movies on, the, my writings. So basically uh, I wrote, and the first story I wrote was actually rose-colored glasses. And that was how mummy, after the nightmare that she lived, came to Australia, put on her rose-coloured glasses and went to the theatre, the opera, symphony concert. She grew things in her garden, preserved fruit, knitted, crocheted, went to business school to do bookkeeping, started painting her old masters. Rembrandt would have been proud. Her constables, her turners, just incredible. And then she started impressionistic work. Just, just beautiful, beautiful work. Um, some of them, I'm sure, I think they're better than the originals. So she was just so full of, you know, and, and at night times, of course, she would scream in terror. She had the typical nightmares that second that people have survived that nightmare. Um, so, um, so rose-coloured glasses was the first one, and then the love story. Her and her sister. Thank God the Nazis didn't know that she had a sister. And the story of them, as they went through the five years of war, how with the help of, by the grace of God and their love for each other, they wouldn't let each other die. So that's called Two Roses in Hell. And basically it was how, you know, when mummy was, her sister fella was dying of typhoid, mummy shook her and said, you are not to die, do you understand? You are not to die. And the same thing, um, uh, when she was dying, there's going to be a beautiful scene, um, you know, and I'm going to have the music, da, 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 the world is a narrow bridge, and if you have faith, you'll cross over it. Mummy's lying in, in, in of ty and she's dying of typhoid fever, high, high fever, and she imagines that she's, um, that there's cookies on the ledge, and, you know, she says, I asked fella, pass me the cookies and a cup of chicken broth. And like, cause she feels she just can't get over the bridge. And then she has the cookies and then she, that's what interested Barbara in mind power. That's what got her started in teaching mind power. Um, so mummy um, eats the cookies and she drinks the broth and all of a sudden she's able to cross the bridge. She's able to live. So I'm doing that scene. Um, right. So basically I had written the, these stories, two of my mum, um, I've written about uh, my story manifesting, you know, from being a photographic model to morbidly obese to where, I've, where, where I am now. And, um, 
And I, I knew Spielberg was going to handle it. And I said to Warren Wills when I met him, I said, I want you to do the music. And one night I'm at McDonald's, as I do, like being a writer, I write at crazy hours. And I thought I'll go and have a cup of coffee and something at five o'clock in the morning. And it was winter about three or four years ago. And some lovely lady walked past like in a beanie and sort of, um, and I said, we'd be much better if we had chicken soup. And she said, yeah, we start talking about chicken soup and her mother was in Auschwitz. Her father was, an, she was married to a German non-Jew. And I said, we talked about our mothers and I said, yeah, my mother's story I've written. And I said, uh, yeah, Mr. Steven Spielberg's gonna produce it. And he said, she said, oh, she takes out her phone and she says, shall I ring him now? <laughs> and I said, what? This is in McDonald's. Yes, at the car park at 5 a.m. And she, I said, what? And she said, yeah, I've done, I've worked in Pacific with him. I'm friends with all those guys, with with Tom and and and, um, and Stephen and all the other guys. I'm friends with their wives, with Rita and everybody. Wow. And so I go, oh. <laughs> 2 a.m. at McDonald's. There 5 a.m. 5 a.m. Yeah. <laughs> So basically we planned to have dinner, the four of us. And of course, Tom was doing the Elvis Presley movie and he got COVID, so that stopped. And then uh, Stephen and Tom, we were going to meet for dinner and I got cold feet and I said, oh, this little, little Jewish lady from Caulfield, I don't think I can do it. So I kind of said, I'm not up to it to care. So I canceled. I think Stephen wanted to meet me a few times already. I said, I'm not up to it. <laughs> so, and then Kaz got sick and she's still sick, but um, she's having chemo and she's got five more treatments. But like Tom and um, Stephen fly in, they fly their jets into Essendon or their staff do into Essendon. They've got beautiful um, apartments overlooking Albert Park Lake and they're, they're building a beautiful state-of-the-art Fisherman's Bend the studios so there'll be a lot of work for Australian artists and Australia oh, everyday nice. people yeah so you're waiting to meet them but they've heard about you and they've oh. heard about you oh yeah they, they know a lot about me in fact Kaz was saying I said well we can't meet because Warren's away and he said she said well Stephen told me Warren's in England to his, his daughter's wedding so they watch and and Tom did make contact with me uh, as I was racing off to meet Warren for breakfast, beautiful Warren Wills. Oh, look him up. Look up Genesis to Broadway. That's I saw that six times. Yes. <laughs> Warren Wills, I feel like I've known all my life as well. Yeah. But he did a um, he did the most amazing musical creation called Night of Broken Glass, oh. which, as you know, is about Crystal Nacht. Yeah. And I thought, who in the world could possibly Brilliant. write a musical? Yeah. And it was on at the Christian University or something. Yeah. So I bought a ticket just to make sure it wasn't some kind of anti-Semitic thing. Yeah. And then met Warren afterwards, <laughs> and it was instant love at first yeah. sight yeah. as a friend. Yeah. And we had lunch, and we talked for like three hours. And he's just a beautiful human being. Well, my soul brother, Warren Wills, plans to heal the world, world peace, single-handedly. I mean, I'm trying to help him. But, like, he, he's, uh, he's been speaking to Ron Finkel, who I spoke to the other day, charming, charming gentleman. I met him at a party at Jeannie Pratt's place no, for... 
Lady Anna was a dear, dear friend of mine and she invited me to her book launch and that's where I met Ron and his late mother who was gorgeous. And um, so Ron's helping Warren get the Palestinian-Israeli choir together. Warren's got projects in Singapore and China and everywhere. And, And as well as these lofty... Um, goals which are all wonderful on an actual daily basis he manages to find the time to practice what he preaches so it is one of the things he started over 10 or 15 years ago out in England was this diversity um, theatre choir where he actually puts normal abled people together with disabled and people with different disabilities and different ages and he puts them all into a choir that sounds so professional Mm. and he's doing and he's done that around the world he's doing it in Australia now so he's one of those people that actually practices what he preaches and finds ways daily to do that he is a super superhero. But I mustn't forget my other soulmate, Maestro Alan Kogosowski, who absolutely, as he plays, one feels it straight from heaven. Alan Kogosowski, for those that haven't heard of him, is a, um, a virtual maestro pianist who, you know, it, people, lots of people play the piano. But Alan has played the piano internationally at the highest levels for, since he was a child, not even a teenager. Yeah, when he was on Ed Sullivan. And even now, when I hear Alan play, it touches something inside that nobody else and nothing else will. Sorry. Him playing live yeah. is something, if you ever get to experience it... Brunswick, end, end of Must, May. must, must go experience it. Yes, he's got a regular gig now, or...? I'm not sure. We just well, take it as, anyway, a, as an event. Cog- he would say event at a time. Alan Kogosowski and um, worth Googling and, and going to hear. So... Just anyway, also... Um, um, Alan was not only Princess Diana's favourite, he was wined and dined by the Queen Mother in in the St James Palace. Wow. Yeah, and and like, you know, lots of famous people. He he, he sat with Thatcher. The world's the world's the world's. Like, charming, charming man. And uh, he even got a medal from the Pope for his charity work. Yeah. And he's so humble. He just, if he's doing a concert now, he'll race home before we have dinner and he'll go and feed his pussycats. That's the love of his <laughs> life. And he'll, he'll garden. That's gorgeous. And then when I ring him, he says, I can't talk now, I'm practicing. I say, yeah. what do you mean practicing the one that you've, you've got a hit on, like you've, for 20 years the CD's been out? He says, yeah, but I haven't got it perfect yet. <laughs> Carol, tell me about these relationships and how they nurture you not just alan and warren Mm. but all your relationships because they seem to be a um they seem relationships are the most important important things in life that's without saying food water shelter relationships with people talk a little bit about some of the relationships and how those relationships have really nurtured you at times when you've needed them okay don tolman whole food medicine man 
born in Utah, cowboy, 76-year-old still. But what has it done to you? Like, how do you... Because we meet people every day, all of yes, us do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And since we're talking about you, and this yes, is yes. all about you, Carol, yeah. um, what does it do for you? Not how wonderful the people are. Yeah. Because I oh, can ask darn. you about your mailman, and you, you could go on about your mailman. Yeah, yeah. Talk about what it does and how it nourishes your soul. Well, Dawn I speak to every few days. He's healed over 5,000 people. There's a, there's a, uh, um, John Hopkins is a big plaque about him. And I say, Dawn, I've got this on my skin or I've got, um, they've just said I have to take these tablets. And he says, you don't, you just have to, you, you have grapefruit. Yeah, so, so he, that's about Don again. Yeah. But for you, knowing all these people yeah. and having them at the tips of your fingers through yeah. the telephone or whatever yeah, yeah, else. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's let's take, for example, after your mother passed, which yeah. wasn't that long ago, yeah. really. Yeah, yeah. How did those re the relationships that you'd made help you come through that time in your life? Well, Sharon was there straight away, Tamar, Mandy, um, David Figdor, endodontist extraordinaire. If you ever go to his clinic, it's like <laughs> just Hollywood. Being, was it just being there or how did they nurture your soul? What was I, it? Uh, Ronnie, Ronnie Figdor, Rabbi Ronnie OAM. I say, what does OAM mean? And he says, oh, ordinary Australian man. Like, you know, kind of, I ring him up and I say, when is Mashiach coming? <laughs> and like, so, you know, um, going to Caulfield Shul and hearing Dolph sing with the choir. Um, yeah, like I'm, what can I say? They're all things that, and people that make you feel good. Good is such a nothing meaning word. Yeah, yeah. But it gets us through the day. Yeah, yeah. So when you wake up in the morning, yeah. what goes through your head? Well, the first thing is Modayani, then Shema, then Adon Olam. Then Elvis, welcome to my world. So what are, yeah, so what are your plans for the future? <laughs> what do you mean? Like <laughs> uh, the movies and helping Tikkun Olam, helping heal the world is number one. So the movie on um, manifesting molecules for miracles, um, and as I said, the weekly show because different people will like different things. Some will like mainstream medicine, some will like complementary, some will like the woo-woo people. Right. Um, so that's, that's to help heal millions of people around the world with all sorts of diseases. We have, I'm a, um, I'm a distributor for ASEA, A-S-E-A, -E um, basically um, an atomic physicist went to um, Switzerland to that machine that things molecules they restructures molecules got a Nobel Peace Prize and he's created salt and water in a liquid and in a gel and it virtually is considered the biggest breakthrough in, of the century it's um, 15 years ahead of medicine now right the doctors who are using it cannot believe that their patients are healing in half the time um, athletes, Olympic athletes, cannot believe their recovery or their stamina. Um, it's used in Hollywood too. My girlfriend was a uh, trainer for um, Russell Crowe. I keep saying to her, look, tell him I can't make it this week. Thursday, three weeks, I'm all right. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell Russ. 
Um, so basically, this it's like a miracle. This and my friend, who's a professor of neuroscience, yep. Jerome. He said he's met the physicist. Who, uh, so it's really spreading the word about things that other people would find helpful as well. That's it. And then in your immediate future yeah, right yeah, now, yeah. you have more than enough close friends <laughs> that you're um, really helping and assisting with all kinds of things as they go through their lives. And it's always such a pleasure to see you or hear you because you're so amazingly wonderfully positive mm, thanks one to no one really <laughs> it's uh, that's why i love doing what i do because it's it's bringing out the goodness in people and it doesn't matter if you're world famous or if you know nobody except the people on your block mm -hmm. everybody's got such a miracle within them every single person so um, this has been absolutely delightful. And before we say goodbye, if you want the best chicken soup in the world, <laughs> it's called Konja. K-O-N-J-O. On the corn. In, in Melbourne, Australia, in South Caulfield, on the corner of Hawthorne Road, England, the Huntley Road. That's right, the best there. chicken soup. Three, a Michelin chef, three star, and Dan from Ethiopia. He wears his tzitzis and he prays in the middle An of the day. An orthodox Ethiopian Jew. Divine. Who came from, via, via Israel, from yes, Ethiopia, yes, yes, via yes, Israel, yes, yes, yes. to Melbourne, Australia. And my latest best friend, so kind, from Israel then to um, New Zealand. And when I was in hospital recently, I said, I've got no clothes. And everyone's, uh, Romy's in Sydney and Josh is, uh, no one to help me. He brings me clothes. He goes and opens my door, and then my house. And How then wonderful that somebody that you'd only met recently yeah. would go out of his way to do something for you. Which is just a reflection of you and how wonderful you are. Do you know what? The other night, I came home from hospital and my some family members decided they were going to tidy my house up, all valuable things on the, on the grass. And I, I said, Roy, I, I don't know what to do. And he said he had just started his new job at, in corporate. Right. He had just eaten. He was there within half an hour, picked everything up and put it under the garage <laughs> for me. Roy, I love you. <laughs> And I love you too. Any friend of Carol's is certainly a friend of mine. So God bless and looking forward to the next lap of your life. Thank you, Lily. It's been a delight.